guys. Welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. Wow, wow, wow. I, I am very fired up. I was fired up coming into the studio this morning because there is a lot going on right now. We're going to talk about all of it this week, or I'm going to try to talk about all of it this week. Southwest Airlines, this is probably the biggest story going on right now. Had to cancel over a thousand flights, I think almost 2,000 flights over the weekend, apparently because of employees walking off the job in protest of the vaccine mandate. Now, that's not being covered by the media, so we're kind of relying, including myself, I'm relying on people who work for this airline to tell me what's going on. There are many conservative journalists who are kind of in the same boat. Southwest is saying it had something to do with weather. That's why a bunch of flights got canceled going in and out of Florida. But other airlines did not have to cancel their flights going in and out of Florida. And people in Florida are like, what the heck? Our weather is fine. Um, it turns out that at least from voices on the inside, they are saying that people are protesting this vaccine mandate. We're hearing rumblings of other airlines who have mandated the vaccine, like American Airlines, that um, this is going to happen as well. Thankfully, the unions, which I'm not a big fan of what unions have become. I understand and appreciate the um, the original need for labor unions, but they have become these very left-wing bureaucratic bodies that mostly exist for themselves and their own power and not actually representing um, workers' needs and speaking truth to power and all of that. But in this case, it seems like the airline unions um, – the pilots unions and uh, just the, the airline unions in general are actually pushing back against these mandates. And from what I have learned, there are just a few thousand uh, pilots at Southwest Air that are saying no, either no, they're not getting the vaccine or they have gotten the vaccine and they're simply pushing back against what they see as an unjust and tyrannical mandate. And you know what? Good for you. Good for you. Good for you, pilots. Good for you, flight attendants. I it's truly, sincerely feel for everyone whose plans were disrupted over the weekend. Like, there truly are few things more stressful than being stranded at an airport and getting a flight canceled. I had to fly over this weekend. Um, I don't travel that much, but... I had to go two places this weekend, and I actually had to fly three different airlines, which is very unique to me. I'm typically uh, an American Airlines girl. It's just what I've always flown, um, but I didn't fly Southwest at all this weekend, and I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord, for your providence and helping me get home because I would really hate to be stranded in Detroit where I was or stranded anywhere, but uh, that's where I was on, uh, on Saturday, and so I'm very thankful, very thankful for that because I really feel for the people who are stranded at airports, even as I am fully supportive. I'm fully supportive of everyone who is pushing back um, in this way, like to pilots, to teachers, to flight attendants, to nurses that are pushing back against this in a peaceful and effective way. Hold the freaking line like this fight matters. It absolutely matters. This is not an anti-vaccine stance, although there are people who are uh, against uh, the vaccine. OK, that's fine. But more than anything, like the mass protests that you are seeing around the world, the protests that you are seeing here that very often aren't covered by the media, the boycotts that you're seeing, the walking off of jobs that you um, are seeing. It's a big, massive 
pushback against these mandates, against these passports that are a huge uh, infringement upon people's liberty and their ability to provide for their families. And honestly, I just have so little understanding at this point of Christians who don't see what's happening, who don't see this as a huge infringement upon people's liberty, who don't see this as an injustice, who don't see why uh, all of these different restrictions, regulations, and mandates and passports have a cumulative effect of oppression and totalitarianism. How do you not see that that's where we're headed? Like, if you are someone over the past year who has talked about police brutality, and yet you're looking at what's going on in Australia where people are being beaten in the streets because of because they're peacefully protesting, you don't have anything to say about that, or maybe you think that's good, or maybe you think the police should be enforcing these vaccine mandates and vaccine passports and mask wearing and all of that. You're a giant hypocrite, and you don't see what's going on. Like, too many people did not pay attention in history class when it when it came to the history of the 20th century and the patterns that we see leading up to totalitarianism so many people are just so dedicated to believing that everything is well and good, that the right is always blowing things out of proportion, that everything is fine. It's okay that Australia, parts of Australia, have become a police state. It's okay that pastors are getting arrested in places like Canada. Oh, maybe they deserve it. Maybe it's really for our public health. It's fine that there's a mandate that is causing thousands of nurses to quit, uh, apparently in the midst of a pandemic that's putting a strain on our hospitals. Oh, it's fine that military servicemen and women who signed up to pay the ultimate sacrifice are now being booted out of the military because they won't get a vaccine that for a disease that they probably have natural immunity for, or if they don't, they simply don't want to get the vaccine and that choice should be honored. Oh, that's all fine. It's just a mask. It's just another restriction. It's just a mandate. It's, uh, you know, just the Biden administration saying that they are going to cut antibody supply to these certain Southern states that won't go along with his authoritarian mandates. It's fine. It's all for public health. You're asleep. You're asleep. And I just have so little patience for that anymore. How do you not see what's going on? How do you not see it? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And then what we're talking about today, we're talking about uh, Merrick Garland mobilizing the FBI against concerned public school parents. We're going to talk to Chris Rufo. He is a journalist who has been one of the loudest and most persistent voices uh, against critical theory in both the government and in schools. I don't see how anyone could look at this story that we're going to talk about today, the other stories that I just mentioned, and gosh, I haven't even talked about the supply chain issues, the fact that there are shipping containers all around outside of the United States that can't actually unload all of their supplies uh, because we have a worker shortage, the fact that the Biden administration claimed that they were going to add um, you know, half a million jobs last month. It was less than 200 million or two, sorry. Uh, yeah, half a million jobs, 200,000 jobs were only added last month. The economic crisis that we are going through and are about to go through, I haven't even talked about all of that. How do you not see what's going on that we are being destroyed from the inside? How do you not see it? Anyway, we only have time to talk about one of these things today. We'll talk about the rest of them. Uh, for the rest of the week, but we're going to talk about this. Uh, we're going to talk about this memo from the attorney general today and what it all means. And then I'll have um, just a couple words of encouragement at the end for you. 
right. First sponsor for the day before we get into the conversation with Chris Rufo is Relief Band. So if you struggle with nausea, motion sickness or um, nausea due to anxiety or even morning sickness, there are many reasons why you might have chronic nausea. You need Relief Band. The product is 100% drug free. It's non-drowsy. It provides all natural relief with zero side effects for as long as needed. My sister-in-law has motion sickness. She has forever. And so getting in the car and things like that can make her very nauseous. She has used Relief Band for a very long time. And she says it works like magic. Like it has changed. It, it changed her life. I think was the language that she used. You don't have to worry about taking some pharmaceutical drug that maybe you're worried, you know, will make you tired or have some kind of side effect that you don't want. Uh, Relief band is all natural. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you are sick. I mean, this can really be a game changer if you're someone who has to travel a lot and yet deals with nausea and sickness as you are traveling. Um, If you go to reliefband.com, and use promo code Allie, A-L-L-I-E, you will receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com. Use my promo code Allie for 20% off plus free shipping. Chris, thank you so much for joining us again. So I noticed in the memo that it doesn't actually say anything about critical race theory. Um, in your tweet, you talk about how this seems to be um, a referendum on the parents who are pushing back against critical race theory. So can you tell us how you kind of got there? Yeah, well, you know, at first it was uh, kind of a hypothesis, but now we've actually confirmed it. So America First Legal, led by Stephen Miller, Uh, has uncovered evidence that he's now sent uh, to the Department of Justice that this was really a kind of inside job. This was a request that originated within the Department of Justice and the FBI. Uh, They farmed it out to the National School Boards Association, uh, asking them to request it, to give them a pretext. And then the National School Boards Association original letter, which came out just a few days before the Attorney General's announcement, uh, requested that not only the Attorney General unleash the FBI on parents, Uh, but that he classify some parent protesters as domestic terrorists and prosecute them under the Patriot Act. Um, And then what we're seeing now, and I have a document uh, request, a FOIA request that will confirm this, and we're also getting this from reports from America First Legal, is that this is really a collusion between the teachers unions, the National School Board Association, the Biden administration, to take the heat off of these school administrators that have been under tremendous pressure from parents and then unleash the state against them. Uh, It's something extraordinary uh, that I think we haven't seen in a long time. And to those who say, and I know that you've talked about this many times, I've talked about it as well, too, to those who still say, because I'm still seeing this a lot, not just from elected officials, but um, just from people in the public sphere saying, look, critical race theory is not being taught in schools. These parents who are pushing back are just believing some grand conspiracy theory, or maybe they're even racist, as one candidate for governor said in Virginia, Terry McAuliffe. Um, can you give us just some examples of what it might look like for critical race theory, which was once kind of an obscure collegiate legal theory being taught in grade school? Yeah, well, I mean, what I think is happening is that they're playing what I call a linguistic shell game. They're using the definition of words, they're changing them, they're hiding them, they're moving them, 
in order to confuse parents, in order to uh, shift the blame, in order to avoid responsibility. But uh, you have to know the principles of critical race theory to know whether critical race theory is being taught. So if you see something like white privilege, uh, white fragility, internalized uh, white supremacy, mm -hmm. uh, if you see unconscious bias, which is derives from critical race theory, all of these key terms, often diversity, equity, and inclusion, not always, but I think more often than not, uh, adopts the principles of critical race theory into its pedagogy. So if you're seeing any of these key terms or buzzwords, uh, you are finding, whether they label it critical race theory or not, the key tenets of critical race theory, which divides the world into oppressor oppressed by racial categories, uh, which advocates for you know really uh, 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 crushing uh, existing uh, liberties, freedoms, constitutional guarantees in order to liberate the country, in their word, uh, from racism and oppression. Yep. And this is not just some kind of random deduction that you're doing or labeling every, um, you know, social justice, racial justice phrase is critical race theory or especially any um, teaching about racism as critical race theory. Like you can read, for example, Richard Delgado's introduction to critical race theory, as I have, and you see where all of those ideas originated. This is not an attempt to call everything that we don't like or every controversial teaching critical race theory. It truly does originate from the ideas of the original uh, critical race Theorists, part of the problem is that this is actually supposed to be an obscure legal theory, obviously one that I don't agree with, but that's where it's supposed to live. And yet these elementary school, middle school, high school teachers who are not at all even trained in this legal theory are trying to boil it down in its most crudest form. In, in its crudest forms and uh, teaching them to kids. What's going to be the effect of this, do you think, if they are continued to be allowed to do so? Well, there's two ways of looking at it. One is that uh, American public schools, in many cases, are so incompetent. Uh, they have trouble teaching anything. Hopefully, they will have trouble teaching this. But I, I think more likely is that this seeps into the background knowledge of kids. And I think what I've heard from parents over and over is that when they're teaching intersectionality, privilege, oppression studies, et cetera, um, it, it, it creates a kind of guilt and shame complex among uh, majority race kids, uh, but also creates a kind of fatalism and fear complex within minority kids. You know, I had a, a father uh, who was an interracial couple in Arizona. Uh, he actually ended up speaking out at the school board meeting. He's, you know, black father, white mother. And he said, this is ripping uh, my family apart. It's yeah. filling my kids with fear. Uh, you know, they, th my my ten year old is now asking to sleep in, in 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 the bed with mom and dad again because he's he was terrified by what the lessons that they learned during Black History Month, which should be a celebration of Black achievement and Black resilience in the United States. Uh, but this father said it, it it filled him with fear that he would be hunted down and murdered by the police at any moment, uh, that mm. he couldn't ever succeed in life. And I think we're seeing now enough of these examples where they're saying not just that there has been historical groups of people in the United States with power and privilege, which is absolutely true uh, and should be taught extensively, honestly, sometimes even brutally. But it's saying that you, five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, by virtue of your skin color, are inherently oppressive. You are responsible for the collective crimes of the past committed by people who look like you. It's one thing to teach honest history. It's a, quite another thing to teach critical race theory.
Exactly. And that's the accusation that um, people, teachers, parents are getting from the left, that um, people who are pushing back on this just don't want anyone to talk about racism or they don't want anyone to talk about, um, you know, the history of white supremacy or slavery or Jim Crow in the United States. And that's not true at all. And not only do I believe that those things should be taught at the right time in the right way, but I actually think that critical race theory gets in the way of of teaching those ugly points in American history accurately. Because if you are only looking at history through the lens of black oppressed and white oppressor, then you're missing a, a lot of uh, nuance. You're missing a lot of in-between. You are missing the other reasons that other kinds of injustice happen. Like you are teaching a form of morality that is based on skin color and not based on actual character, not based on motive, not based on intention, not based on things that actually happened and the outcomes that were actually uh, that were actually exacted. Uh, you unfortunately are giving kids not only an inaccurate look at history, but also I think an inaccurate look of what it means to be good, what it means to be evil, because you're actually reducing it down to people's skin color and these very um, often inaccurate categories of bad versus good as white versus black. And so I just imagine it's not only oppressive to kids' minds, but it's very confusing and it actually inhibits them from being able to learn things accurately and well. I think that's right. And what you see throughout the critical race theory literature, I've read you know, thousands and thousands of pages of this stuff over the last year, is that it's at heart a philosophy of racial pessimism. And the founder of critical race theory, Harvard Law professor Derek Bell, says very explicitly that racism is a permanent and indestructible force in the United States. It was the foundation of this country, and it will always be the foundation of this country. Right. It will always be essentially the most important thing, you can boil down anything in the United States to racism, racism, racism. And again, I think as, as you're saying, as I'm saying, obviously the United States has a history of racial injustice, sometimes really brutal, evil, and horrific injustice, uh, which we should reckon with, which we should explain to people, which we should teach in schools, uh, absolutely. Uh, but you also have to not have a one-dimensional story of the United States as evil only and evil always. You also have to teach the story of the United States' highest ideals, first declared in the founding, fought over and consecrated in blood during the Civil War, uh, codified into law in the 1960s. Uh, and then now I think now seeping into the culture, I think most people in the United States uh, today are probably the most tolerant people uh, in the history of the world. I mean, we have people from every country on the planet uh, and we have a, a peaceful, productive, cooperative society. Uh, and how did that happen? If the United States is a permanently, essentially, uh, just a, a kind of racist, oppressor nation, how have we built the good things that we've built over the centuries? Critical race theory doesn't have an answer to that. And therefore, it's a one-dimensional philosophy. It's a philosophy of racial pessimism. It's a philosophy that will, kill, that will fill kids, not with a sense of hope and optimism and po possibility, uh, but a sense of despair. That's not, I think, what we should be teaching our kids. And, and importantly, I think this is a crucial point. According to polling data, uh, recent polling data in the 20 fastest growing cities, so places that are diversifying quickly, 
parents from every racial category, white, black, Asian, Latino, all oppose critical race theory in the classroom. And together as a whole, they oppose it by a 42 point margin. I mean, it's just overwhelming. People of all racial backgrounds do not want this in the classroom. Yeah. No one wants their kid to learn to hate themselves or to hate someone of a different skin color. I mean, that's supposed that's the exact opposite direction that we are supposed to be going and that I think that we were going for a long time. It seems like over the past 10 or so, but especially the past six or so years, I mean, we have turned uh, a very dark corner. I was actually looking at um, a, a Gallup poll recently that asked people what they think, uh, you know, black Americans, white Americans, how they feel about race relations in the United States. It's the worst that it's been at least in 30 years. Black and white Americans feel that we are very divided among race. Now, how can that be possible if, as the critical race theorists say, that critical race theory is supposed to make us reckon with our history, that it's supposed to bring us together, we're supposed to find some kind of restoration and reconciliation by, you know, reckoning with that we really started in 1619 on slavery and not on all of these very good founding ideals that are found in our founding documents. It's obvious that these kinds of principles, which really became more popularized and mainstream while Barack Obama was president, um, it's obvious that it has torn us apart, which is in its nature. That is what critical race theory uh, is and does. Like you said, it believes that America essentially has to, we have to start back at zero and rebuild something different in order for, you know, people to be liberated and equal and equitable and, and all of that. But it has no, um, it doesn't have in its nature and it has no suggestion for how we build from zero. It only has plans for destruction and division. It doesn't have any plans to actually bring us together and build. Do you agree with that? Yeah, that's right. And that's one of the most striking things when you actually read the literature of critical race theory. You go through, you read the books and you say, okay, you know, point, 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 diagnosis of the problem, problem, problem. And what should we do about it? And on this point, the critical race theorists are more or less silent. They have uh, very little to offer in the way of practical solutions. But what you see at the kind of end of a lot of these essays or uh, in the kind of margins of a lot of these books is that they default to the old leftist ideology that has always animated that political movement. Uh, they want to seize and redistribute property. They want to severely limit or restrict the First Amendment. They want to, in essence, abolish the spirit of the 14th Amendment, yeah. replacing equal protection with group identity-based protection. Uh, and then they want to uh, subvert and destroy the system of free enterprise and capitalism uh, and want to install a bureaucracy with an almost totalitarian reach uh, in order to enforce their ideology of quote-unquote anti-racism. And then you get uh, the kind of outlines of a system that looks not much different than the kind of bureaucratic socialist regimes of the 20th century, which all ended in disaster. So uh, if you're looking for hope, if you're looking for solutions, uh, you're not going to find it with CRT. No, you're not. And what's interesting to me is that 
you know, they've been saying the same things for a very long time. I picked up a book by Thomas Sowell that was read uh, or that was written in 1984, and it was called Civil Rights, Rhetoric or Reality. I think it's Rhetoric or Reality. And he addresses all of the things that we're talking about because they've been around for a few decades now. I assume that that is the reason why the media doesn't elevate Thomas Sowell as an influential black voice that we should be listening to, because he has destroyed all of these arguments with basic economic data for a very long time. And what it comes down to, really, for critical race theorists, as you just said, is power. It's about power. It's as, you know, all communists uh, are. They, they are always about power. And I think we see this even today in something like the push for vaccine passports. Ibram X. Kendi, who kind of, you know, he draws a lot of inspiration from critical race theorists, even though he would say maybe he doesn't. Um, his whole shtick is that any law that that has the impact or the outcome of a disparate impact on black and brown Americans is racist. It is the impact, not the intent. Um, and so considering that the majority of black Americans, there's the highest percentage of um, uh, of people in, in black Americans that are unvaccinated, things like vaccine passports will disproportionately affect black Americans. And according to Ibram X. Kendi and other critical race theorists, that is then by their definition racist. And yet, I see maybe a few Black Lives Matter people talking up, uh, talking or standing up about uh, for that, uh, against that, pushing back against that in places like New York City. But for the most part, I don't see Robin D'Angelo and Ibram X. Kendi and a bunch of Democrats on the left who call themselves anti-racist pushing back against things like vaccine passports, even though they will disparately, disproportionately affect black Americans. Why do you think that is? Well, it's actually, there's a twist to the story. Ibram Kendi spoke uh, in uh, Minneapolis, I believe, a few weeks ago. And uh, the Twitter account, uh, Myth Informed, yeah. uh, went to the event, asked him, do you think vaccine passports are racist? Kendi, because he knows where his bread is buttered, he knows uh, that he doesn't want to offend the greater project of the left, said, well, no, vaccine passports aren't racist. Healthcare is racist and society is racist and history is racist. Which, which leads to things that may look like uh, racist outcomes, but aren't. Oh, uh, and, and, nice. and, and, and I mean, stumbled into this, this ridiculous thing, got exposed and embarrassed on Twitter. And then, uh, surprise, surprise, Twitter just hunted down and took down all of these videos. Really? Uh, uh, you know, yeah, they did. They took down the videos with, with really no explanation. Um, uh, and then, you know, temporarily uh, blocked the accounts of people who were posting them. Uh, to protect Ibram Kendi's reputation because he had botched this question so bad. Uh, and, you know, I don't think vaccine passports are racist. I think vaccine passports are a bad idea. I think they're a violation of our liberties. I think they're unnecessary. Right. I, I think they're a path towards a, a kind of state of being that we really don't want. Um, but certainly the anti-racist should be consistent. But what we see over and over is that they're not consistent. Uh, because their goal is power. Their goal yeah. is control. Their goal is to move the country left. And I, I think that uh, you have to think race is the means. Marxism is the end. Yeah. Uh, this is the kind of two-part formula that they've used uh, for decades that we see very clearly uh, patterns today. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm with you. I don't buy this definition that impact, not intent um, is, you know, is the formula or the qualification for what is racist. So I don't think they're racist either. But 
Gosh, like you said, if anything, according to their definition of racism is racist, it's certainly vaccine passports, which are not just disproportionately affecting black Americans in some like intangible way. I mean, you're literally segregating them from society like you are blocking unvaccinated people, which happen to be disproportionately black in places like New York City. You're blocking them out of polite society. And wow, what a coward. You know, that's not the only time that Ibram X. Kendi has been um, exposed for something that is hypocritical, or in this case, it was something that wouldn't be popular on the left. He made some comment in an interview that he would be really sad if his daughter came home and said that, you know, or his daughter, I think, did come home and say that, you know, she thinks she's a boy now. And instead of him celebrating it, he said, you know, that really made him really sad and distressed. And that got buried real quick. You have to, I guess, protect Ibram X. Kendi at all costs. Um, Now, I want to get back quickly to... Uh, this DOJ, um, this DOJ memo. What I, what I want to know is, and I I kind of I know the answer, but I want you to tell us: Is there any evidence of concerned parents um, threatening or causing violence towards school administrators, school board members, at least in, in large numbers? Like, is the DOJ justified in any way to mobilize the FBI against allegedly violent parents? Uh, No, and I'll explain why. I mean, if you look at the evidence outlined, the the Biden administration DOJ memo cites zero evidence. Right. They cite no evidence of threats. They cite no evidence of violence, no evidence of any kind of credible uh, claim towards domestic terrorism. Uh, But the NSBA letter, which started this whole thing, was served as a pretext, actually went through every footnote in the letter, every report, every bit of data. And they only provided one single example of parent violence against a school official. Uh, 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 an, an individual, a 30-year-old man in Chicago, was being taken out of a, a, a school meeting after disruption. Uh, and then he committed a battery against a school official. It's not clear whether he swung at him or pushed him or her, uh, but a, a, a simple battery, which is condemnable. You shouldn't be uh, assaulting or committing battery against yeah. school officials or anyone else, obviously. Uh, but it's hard. One case of a simple battery is hardly the pretext for a national counterterrorism investigation <laughs> involving every branch of government. Um, and guess what? Uh, shoving a school board official is not domestic terrorism. It's something that can be easily handled by local law enforcement. Uh, you arrest the person, you charge them, you, you take them to trial, and then you know at, 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 at worst, they serve a little bit of time in jail, as they should. But uh, what they're doing is they're taking this energy that's out there and, and because it's conservatives, um, they're using it as a pretext to say white supremacy, domestic terrorism, uh, kind of criminalizing dissent. Uh, and I think what you're seeing is that you don't need a real pretext in this society right now. Uh, MSNBC will go to great lengths to cover for you. The New York Times will go to great lengths to cover for you. David French will go to great lengths to cover for you. David French might go to the greatest lengths of all. (laughs) Um, I mean, his his length is uh, is on this stuff is uh, endless, uh, and his hypocrisy is is boundless. Um, But um, but really, they know they're going to get cover from the left wing and then kind of kind of formerly right wing uh, media, Um, so they can just brazenly lie to say that parents who show up and they're angry. Uh, parents who show up and they're yelling, parents who are showing up and they're disruptive. It's not just that this is a kind of boisterous, loud part of democracy. Uh, maybe parents should tone it down a little bit. Uh, I, I think it would be better if they did personally. Yeah. Uh, but no, no, 
boisterous, loud arguments, yelling. Uh, this is domestic terrorism. I mean, it, it, I mean, it's absolutely yeah. absurd. And and the idea that anyone would buy into it, uh, I, I find really disturbing. Because yeah. if they can use this as a pretext, um, they can use anything as a pretext. They can come after you. Right, quick break from that conversation to tell you about my second sponsor for the day, and that is Hunter Douglas. Who doesn't love to live well? One way to do that is to install innovative window shade designs with gorgeous fabrics and advanced control systems in your house that can be automatically scheduled to adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. Hunter Douglas offers that to you. Um, it's the way the shade uh, diffuses the harsh sunlight to cast a beautiful glow across the room. It's the way that it enables you to enjoy the view outside while protecting your privacy inside. Maybe it's the superior insulation the shades provide, keeping you warmer in winter, cooler in summer, lowering utility bills that all make Hunter Douglas awesome. My parents have been using Hunter Douglas shades for decades they have them all in their house they work super effectively and they look really good too i love the power view technology part of hunter douglas their shades uh, you know they can be set to automatically reposition for the perfect balance of light privacy and insulation morning noon and at night and so however uh you want to schedule your shades to lower to raise you can do that and it just makes your life easier i love things that make your life easier and that also look good i love a good product and hunter douglas makes the best product when it comes to shades and shade design so visit hunterdouglas.com slash alley today take advantage of the season of style rebate savings event that's hunterdouglas.com slash alley for limited time savings offer expires december 6th 2021 hunterdouglas.com slash alley And, you know, the point on on David French, like I have really learned a, a lot from what he, you know, used to write. I appreciate a lot of his advocacy work for things like the First Amendment. And I've given him the benefit of the doubt many, many times because I don't think he's a bad I don't think he's a, a bad person. His evolution, at least in my eyes over the past couple of years, has been disturbing, particularly on this. When I did ask him, I tagged him, you know, underneath your tweet asking him, and he said that there, you know, has been an increase in threats and things like that. And so I looked into it, and the the letter that the NSBA sent does include a couple examples of what they consider domestic terrorism. Apparently, according to them, there was a guy giving a Nazi salute at a meeting. One guy called a recess at a school board meeting because of his opposition to critical race theory. Um, there was a video that went viral reported on by the Washington Post of parents in Williamson County, Tennessee, yelling at the health experts called to give testimony at a four-hour school board meeting in favor of mask mandates. School board members in Loudoun County, Virginia, say that they have gotten um, death threats. But again, to your point, and I would agree with this, while we would say, you know what, that really doesn't help our cause. Can parents try yeah. to be as respectful and raising their ruckus as possible, like the death threats and, of course, any kind of like Nazis, I don't even know. Um, anything yeah, I mean, like that is condemnable. Nazis anywhere at any time. At I mean, any time. But, yeah, it's, it's never the right idea. I mean, it, but I, I think it's like you have to know local politics. Like I participated in local politics throughout my life. And 
it does attract some some strange some nutty people, people. Uh, yeah some nutty people some weird people on both sides um, on on both sides i mean i i participated in seattle and you get some real uh you know kind of psychotic people that 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 show up because there's conflict um and and we should all condemn that we should minimize that we should attempt to marginalize that kind of behavior um but parents have a legitimate claim and 98% 99% of parents are just hardworking middle class people who are showing up after work hours uh, on their own private time to say hey look i don't want you teaching my kid that he or she's an oppressor i don't want you teaching my kid that this country uh, is out to get him uh, uh, and and these are good people with a real grievance and i think that they're following the process this is how the process works if you want change at your schools you show up at your school board meeting mm-hmm. and once we criminalize this basic form of dissent we're not just telling parents to shut up and sit down uh, we're also telling parents that the bureaucrats are in charge yeah uh, it's not you who gets to decide what's taught wh- how the school runs who gets elected what the curriculum looks like no it's the experts the anti-racist uh, program directors the school board officials the teachers union bosses we are in control you're merely a, a kind of cash uh, service for us yeah uh, and that's the message that they're sending and i think parents are are really revolting against that because they want to they want to know that they still have democratic rights and democratic participation uh, within our system especially at that local level yep and it's obvious what Democrats and bureaucrats in general think about this. Terry McAuliffe, again, running for Democrat, running for governor in Virginia, recently said um, in an interview or no, in a debate, actually, against his Republican contender that parents don't shouldn't have a say in what gets taught in schools. And this is that's not just one thing that said, obviously, he's a mainstream Democrat. But we have heard this kind of rhetoric coming from um, academics, coming from left wing research. Researchers coming in so many words from um, activists and politicians on the left that really parents just need to step aside. They need to step aside for a second and realize that uh, these teachers teaching not just racially divisive, um, racially divisive lessons, but also in some cases sexually explicit and confusing uh, lessons and curriculum to kids. They just need to be the ones that are um, who are in charge and parents just kind of need to be quiet. So you would see why parents are really frustrated about this. This is a really big deal. I mean, you're talking about the only people in the world who have uh, the biggest interest in their child's well-being, who will live with whatever consequences um, their their child has to endure because of whatever they may be learning or not learning in school. I mean, you're talking about the parents, the only ones who are waking up in the middle of the night to cov- comfort their child, the only people who know everything that makes their child tick, that their child loves, that their child hates. I mean, parents are the people who are tasked with protecting, providing for, loving their child, not the state. I mean, what right does Terry McAuliffe or anyone in a teacher's union or school board have to say what a child should be learning um, in a way that trumps what the parents say? It's just so bizarre to me. It's bizarre, but unfortunately, it comes from a very long lineage. Uh, The the writer Christopher Lash wrote a book called Haven in a Heartless World, where he looked at family politics over the course of uh, a few hundred years. And he traced the lineage of the left wing idea. Uh, that the family is an oppressive structure. Mm-hmm. And even after Lash's death, 
in, in the literature of critical race theory, they make it even more explicit. They say that uh, the family is a, the nuclear family or the bourgeois family is a capitalist, white supremacist construct uh, meant to oppress children, oppress women, uh, and then keep society uh, essentially serving uh, the capitalist interests. And in order to break up this patriarchal, racist, and capitalist oppression structure, the family, um, we actually have to undermine it at its deepest roots, which will allow us uh, the den to then liberate each component part of the family, uh, liberate the wife or the woman, uh, liberate the children uh, from the oppression of the father, from the oppression of the greater society. And so this has a long historical legacy. And in fact, uh, I, I did a story, uh, a scoop in Buffalo Public Schools. Uh, they were teaching in, as part of their official uh, racial justice curriculum to disrupt the nuclear Western family. Yeah. They were teaching kids as young as kindergarten that your family is oppressive. Your family is evil. Uh, you need to be in, inducted into our politics and liberated uh, even from your own parents. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, without putting too fine a point on it, you see this in China's Cultural Revolution in the 1960s, mm -hmm. where they're using children, they're using young people, they're using students uh, and turning them against their parents, whether they're uh, ratting them out to the authorities, whether they're hauling their teachers uh, out of the classroom, filling their mouths with dirt and then executing them. I mean, you had teenagers doing this kind of stuff on behalf of the state. Um, we're not anywhere near there. I don't mean to say that there's a parallel. Uh, but certainly there is a, a kernel of this same kind of cultural spirit that I that I see in this uh, left wing ideology at this point, thankfully, at least in the abstract. Yeah. And I see it. I'll say I'll say there's a parallel, obviously not to that level, but it all does come from the same lineage. And I mean, you saw it throughout the 20th century. You saw it in Pol Pot's Cambodia. You saw it um, in anywhere there was totalitarianism and in particular communism, but also fascism, especially in the 20th century. You see this recruitment of children for the cause of the people in charge. And you see this also in the dystopian novels like Brave New World in 1984. They both get certain things right um, about the moment that we're in and lots of moments throughout the past 100 years. But the one thing that both of those books share is the disintegration of the family. And I get really disappointed when I see well-meaning people say, um, you know, well, there are some good tenets to critical race theory that we need to hold on to. This is mostly Christians that I'm talking to and saying, um, but not queer theory, not the other critical theories, just critical race theory. But what you kind luck. of, yeah, what you've kind of just explained <laughs> yeah. is that essentially, like maybe there are different premises, but essentially they're all the same, especially in this one sense of liberating different people from what they see as as uh, oppressive hierarchies, and one of those is the family. We see this certainly in the form of what queer theorists would call like sexual liberation of kids. That's part of why we are seeing a lot of what parents are uncovering at these school board meetings, reading, I mean, just sexually grotesque, glorifying things like pedophilia and child rape in, in uh, books that are recommended to and assigned to middle schoolers it's all it's not that's not critical race theory but that is part of the umbrella of critical theory the liberation of children the disintegration of the parent-child relationship it all works together don't you think yeah it, it does and and we're seeing all of these interlocking uh, theories now uh, really come to fruition in the school systems 
And it, it all starts with the original critical theory, which in the United States came to its kind of high point in the, in the late uh, 1960s, early 1970s, and then spawned all of these related ideologies, whether it's post-colonial theory or gender theory, queer theory, uh, critical pedagogy, critical race theory, critical whiteness studies. All of these, all of these ideologies share, share a central uh, what what the philosopher Herbert Marcuse called new sensibility. Yeah. And they operate by negation. Uh, it's, a, it's a dialectical philosophy that operates uh, by destroying, shredding, and undermining existing institutions which are deemed oppressive with this idea that once you shred them, once you destroy them, uh, those individuals that are caught in those social institutions will be liberated. And I guess for, for my, uh, my, my our, our, all of our friends uh, who are Christians or, or like, like me and a Catholic, um, I mean, guess what? Uh, in this ideology, the greatest oppressor of all is God. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a myth that's used, uh, in their words, uh, it's a myth that's used to subjugate people, to habituate them to impre- oppression, uh, to provide them succor of, for the afterlife uh, while actually exploiting them in the present life. Um, you, you know, going all the way back to Marx, this has been the yeah. steady line. And uh, this is not the civil rights movement in the 1960s, which yeah. uh, which harkened back to two things. They predicated their philosophy on two things. The Declaration, Martin Luther King famously, student of the Declaration, uh, and then also the Bible. These were This was a largely Christian movement uh, formulated and really advanced from black churches. Uh, critical race theory likes to claim the mantle of the civil rights movement, but it's neither an appreciator of the Declaration of Independence, which they say is a white supremacist document, nor the Bible. This is an explicitly atheist movement. So the idea that you can kind of pick and choose like some sort of some sort of fine buffet and only take what you want back to your back to your chair, I think is false. And critical race theory is a totalizing ideology. If you take any part of it, uh, it's going to metastasize and grow and spread until it can express itself fully. And this would be a disaster for families, uh, for churches, yeah. for schools, for our country. Yep. And I was just thinking when you were talking about it, it boils down to very often an assault on um, fatherhood. I mean, we saw that in the Black Lives Matter website um, that it wouldn't mention fathers. It said mothers and parents. We want to disrupt the nuclear family. They took that down after a lot of backlash. They put it down the memory hole. But thankfully, we have uh, we have receipts of that. And when I think about Christianity, uh, fatherhood, God the Father is central to um, the eternal plan of redemption. I mean, we see that all the way in Genesis 1. And then, of course, the Bible also ends in a marriage of the bride and the bridegroom, Christ and the church. And so anytime you see a specific attack on the family, anytime you see a specific attack specifically on fatherhood, and like you said, on God himself, like you know that that is going to be a destructive ideology, a destructive movement. And that's what we're seeing. Um, a couple points I just I just want to make, uh, like you already talked about the fact that we really don't see any evidence cited of this huge issue of parents like threatening school board members of course, when it happens, we condemn it. But there has been evidence, um, at least a few instances, the other way around. In Rochester, New York, and Penfield Central School District, a father claims that when he told a school board member to, quote, be respectful and said, this is not about you, bud, about whatever they were discussing, 
The board member yelled an expletive at him, the F word, and tried to physically fight him. Uh, the Daily Wire uncovered that teachers in Loudoun County, Virginia, conspired together on Facebook uh, to make a blacklist of parents that they suspected disagreed with things like critical race theory. And as we've already discussed, like, let's not forget what parents are actually uncovering here. What they're uncovering is worth a lot of outrage. It's worth a lot of the energy, respectful, peaceful, but the energy that we are seeing. I had a mom on a couple weeks ago who said that her eighth grade daughter in Texas was recommended you know, 10 books by her teacher. One of those books had uh, child gang rape, glorified pedophilia. A couple books had rape. One of them opened with a how-to guide to commit suicide in a variety of ways. Um, and so why isn't that the thing that is causing outrage from the Biden administration? Why isn't that what is, I'm not even saying that the federal government should have any part of this, but if anything, why wouldn't that get the ire of the Department of Justice if they're going to meddle at all? Why is it that the parents that are concerned about that filth are the ones that are the threat and not the curriculum itself? Oh man, I didn't know about all that. Um, I've seen some of these examples and they're, they're really horrific and, and you, you, you truly wonder, I mean, <laughs> Uh, who is running a, a lot of these institutions? Is this deliberate? Is this accidental? Right. You hope in some ways it's accidental, but then it comes up so many times and it has to go through so many hoops in order to get there. Uh, someone should have stopped it. And I think that, listen, we have 14,000 school districts in this country. They're supposed to operate with uh, independence. They're supposed to tailor their curriculum uh, to the needs and desires and, and democratic will of the people within those districts. We should get back to that system so that this isn't necessarily even a national political fight. It's just handled at the local level. Hey, look, if Berkeley, California wants to have some some books like that uh, in their curriculum, you know, go for it. Uh, that's you know, that's that's their right in many cases. Uh, and if and if a district in Texas doesn't want it, that's also theirs. Uh, but what we see is a one way ratchet uh, where things have to get more extreme and then any pulling back from it is seen as uh, censorship, an attack on free speech, uh, uh, kind of uh, parents who, have, who have, are overstepping their bounds, domestic terrorism. Uh, and and I, we have to figure out a political approach to solve this because if you say, hey, look, I don't want critical race theory in my schools. I don't want uh, you know, pedophilia-oriented uh, literature as the featured book of the week for my fifth grader. Um, <laughs> It, that should not only be uh, not controversial in the least, uh, it should be easily done. It yeah. should be done immediately. Uh, and, and the fact that it's not, the fact that they're holding on, the fact that they're resisting, they're digging in their heels, they're appealing to the, to the federal government, they're really just trying to entrench themselves with this ideology against the will of parents, uh, should be a wake-up call for people. Hey, yeah. look, our institutions, our great American institutions uh, that you know, defeated Nazism and fascism in World War II, uh, that built a great country, uh, uh, you know, over this massive continent, are not what they were in the past. Uh, they're not what they were even in the 1990s. Um, they're very different. Uh, and, and we have to treat them uh, not necessarily as institutions to be reformed, uh, but as institutions to be attacked, uh, because it's going to take some more aggressive political action in order to get them uh, to heal.
Yep. We like to say raise a respectful ruckus. We want you to be respectful. We want you to be convincing. We want you to be peaceful because I think peaceful can be very persuasive. That doesn't mean that you can't be boisterous and energetic and organized. We think that you should be, or I think that you should be. I won't speak for you, but I'm I'm sure that you agree with that. Um, And this is an attempt to... um, to intimidate you, parents, this is an attempt to try to silence you, to preemptively um, try to get you to stop, um, you know, uh, stop criticizing the system. Um, but my encouragement to parents is to double down. Don't back down. Double down. Keep raising a respectful ruckus for the sake of your kids because it's absolutely worth it. Um, now, how can they support you, Chris? Where can they follow you and all that good stuff? Yeah, I'm, I'm most active on Twitter at RealChrisRufo. Uh, you can also visit my website, ChristopherRufo.com. That's ChristopherRufo.com. Uh, all of my uh, essays, articles, videos. Um, I have also have a, a critical race theory briefing book that's free for parents uh, to give them the background on CRT, to give them the language that they can use at school board meetings. Uh, and then you can also sign up to support me, have a great community of uh, now 2,500 uh, small supporters and uh, grateful for, uh, for everyone who does. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. Okay, before I give you those final words of encouragement, I've got to tell you about a new sponsor, and that is MarPipe. So MarPipe is the new multivariate testing platform for Facebook ad creative that lets you do creative testing better. The average MarPipe customer reports that their ad performance doubles in less than 30 days. This is not some spam offer that you find in your spam folder. I, uh, or shady offer, uh, or anything like that. I get those kinds of, um, I get those kinds of emails all the time from random people. I have no idea how I got my email address. It's on some list somewhere. And I get all of these sketchy offers to be like, Oh, we're going to help you make money on your Facebook page. Never respond to those. If you get an, if you get an email like that, Marpipe is legit. It's an Adobe backed ad tech platform that is remaking the digital creative industry. It's really simple. It just uploads your assets and Marpipe uh, will create hundreds of ad variants and seamlessly launch them with one click. If you are in marketing, if you're in digital marketing, if you're in social media strategy as I used to be, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. It works with companies that are spending tens of thousands on Facebook to brands as large as uh, Mars, Tubi, and Quip. And Business Insider calls Marpipe the money ball of ad creative. So you need to check this out by booking a free demo at marpipe.com slash Allie right now. Get a free $2,000 credit. That's a huge deal, but only until December 1st. Book a free demo at marpipe.com slash Allie. That's M-A-R-P-I-P-E. Marpipe.com slash Allie. Get a free $2,000 credit until December 31st. All right. I just want to give you guys a couple words of encouragement. I know that I came in hot at the beginning of this episode. I'm still coming in hot at the end. I'm just super fired up about this moment that we're in. And I want to see Christians and Christian leaders speaking up about this as Christians should have spoken up 
in, for example, Soviet Russia. I'm not saying that we are in the exact same place as the the Russians were during the Soviet Revolution at the beginning of the 20th century. We're not in the exact same place, but we see similar preliminary patterns. I mean, totalitarianism is so boring. Like it always follows the same kind of path and paths. And I hope that we're not going in that direction here. I'm not saying necessarily that we are, but let's speak up while we still can when we are just starting to see the silencing of dissent and the squashing of free speech and the trampling upon individual liberty. I mean, Sultanheiten, one thing that he says in the Gulag Archipelago is that uh, the reason that people got where they were, the reason that the Soviet Revolution happened is the reason that any totalitarian revolution was able to take root in the 20th century. And that is, he said, that men have forgotten God. And so it is incumbent upon Christians following the strong reformed Christian tradition that we have to push back against tyranny. As you can see, maybe we can pull up my John Knox quote over here on the side. If you are watching from on YouTube, resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. Um, that is a way to love your neighbor. As we say, politics matter because policy matters because people matter. Politics affects policy. Policy affects people. So this is a way, not the only way, maybe not even the primary way to love your neighbor. But one way to love your neighbor is to push back against tyranny, to hold the line, to raise a respectful and peaceful ruckus. You push back. What you're seeing right now, you're seeing people organized with other like-minded people in their organization. They're strategizing. They're coming up with a cohesive message, and they're taking a risk. They're taking a risk to make a point that they don't want their individual liberty trampled on. And tomorrow, when we talk about this a lot more, we're going to talk about some COVID stuff tomorrow. I'll try to come up with some resources for you guys because I'm constantly asked, what do I do? How do I, you know, how do I push back against this? How do I protect my individual choice? My husband is losing his job. I mean, I've talked to wives of firefighters, of police officers, of uh, of servicemen, of um, all kinds of uh, different employees and different workers in our economy who are losing their jobs and their means to provide for their families because they're willing to stand for their individual choice, whether they've actually gotten the vaccine or not. That is honorable. That is, I am behind you and I will support you and I will help you however I can. Hold the line. Hold the line. It is worth it. It's worth it. Like now's not the time for nostalgia. When we look back at the 1990s or the early 2000s, when it seemed like, you know, America was better. It was still this beacon of liberty and that people could come together, the right and the left. We just don't live there. We don't live at that time anymore. It's time to stop looking back. We can't go back. The only way is forward. And the only way that we even have any chance, I don't know if we have a chance, honestly, the only way we have any chance or any hope of preserving the liberty that so many people have fought and died for is to do our own part in holding the line and sharing the arrows with people who are holding the line in very risky ways by potentially losing their job standing up for this liberty. So that's our role. If you don't know what to do, how to fix all of this, we can't. We still serve a sovereign God who is totally in control. All we can do is the next right thing in faith with excellence and for the glory of God, both big and small. That's the only role that we have, whether that's speaking out or just doing what's right in front of us, big and small ways. That's all we can do is... Um, is the will of God with joy. All right, that's all I got for today. We'll be back here tomorrow to talk about the rest of it. <laughs>